Hi there. Thank you for downloading and watching and listening to the Lean Into Art Cast. This is a show where a couple of visual storytellers get together, take on various topics that tend to cross one's path when you go on this endeavor of communicating with images. We think hard about this stuff, so you will too. My name is Jersey Drozd. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist, and the other host is named... Hey, Jersey. I'm Rob Stenzinger, a user experience designer, interactive maker, and I teach that stuff as well. Good to see you again, Rob. Uh, Good to see you. What we do occasionally on this podcast is uh, sort of step back from these deep dives into topics about storytelling and do like an analysis of what we're consuming, what we're reading, watching, and playing. Um, why would we do such a thing? What was, what's the purpose of such a, an activity? Uh, well, growing up, I, I'm pretty sure between Dungeons and Dragons, heavy metal, and video games, I'm about to do something really bad. I'm, I'm about to make, make, make bad choices, and I better check myself before I wreck myself. <laughs> Otherwise, moral panics will come true. No, um, <laughs> there's, there's just a lot... Uh, Honestly, it's a little bit of that silly old saying, you know, monkey see, monkey do, right? Where I am inspired by so many things I create. I mean, I, I've picked up all, all so many of the different um, disciplines I practice by first just, uh, you know, being a watcher of, of someone else doing this and, and watching media and, and, and just feeling some kind of thing that I'm like, gosh, I need to follow that. Like, what's going on? Um, and I don't mean like, you know, Satan's dark voice inside the, the every heavy metal song. I mean, like there's uh, a creative and um, thing occurring in front of me. I'm like, I want to be able to do that too. I and uh, so, yeah. And I think a lot of it can come from the media as far as the mechanics of the thing, but also there, there's the ideas that you get, you can imbue in it where you're like, Oh my God, this, this experience is really hitting me hard. Um, thinking of an example that was shared in the Lean Into Art Discord recently um, by, what was it, uh, uh, D.L. Armentrout, um, about playing VR and having the impact, the emotional impact of, of, of an event being pretty intense um, when, like, a, you know, a comrade fell in, in a role-playing game yeah. and... Uh, and then wanting to go make a VR game. And it's like, yep, <laughs> I know that feeling. Busted, you know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, yeah. So I think when, and also the, the act of, we're both, I think, kind of hooked on this idea of asking ourselves why whenever we feel like a big feeling about something. Well, whoa, why did that happen? Why, why is this thing working on me? And sort of reverse mm. engineering it, asking ourselves thoughtful questions, reflecting. We talk a lot about reflection on the show. So that's what reading, watching, playing is all about. And that's why it keeps coming back as a topic because I think uh, we're constantly engaging with different kinds of media. And it's, I think there's a, uh, it's purposeful to stop and do an occasional check-in on it. So it's both fun, but it's also, I think there's some, there's some rigor in there too. So um, without a doubt, like, like the, the classic um, title that, that I think of this uh, behavior as it's the, the analytic eye that I heard you coin that like a decade ago on yeah. your uh, journal podcast. And, and, and ever since it's, it's like, you know, I, I know I've been, um, you know, doing that kind of practice on my own, but I, th but like how you characterize this and describe it, I think is really useful to listen to because there's a lot of inroads where if you're, if you think, well, I don't know, like 
I just like what I like or what have you. I think the way Jersey uh, characterizes this kind of um, experience, you're, you're going to find uh, how you can do this too. Like you can um, explore your own analytic eye if that, uh, oh, you know, or you could just cheer along if you're like, yeah, that's, I do that already. Yeah. Um, you'll find a lot of common ground there. All right. Well, with that, that's a perfect introduction. So I say we just hit it and get into the first part of the show. Going along the Dragon Road. <laughs> Music always signifies the transition to the main body of the podcast, the first section, reading, watching, playing. Rob, what have you been reading, watching, or playing lately? And let's, oh my let's gosh. reflect on it. I, I wish I was reading more because reading is awesome, but I've, I, um, Sometimes uh, when I when I think of a reading, watching, playing, I, I only gravitate toward like books, right? There's you know fiction or nonfiction, um, graphic novels, longer short comics, anything. And yeah, I've got a few things on my desk. I've been piling up. It's you know I go around. I've been gathering some stuff off my bookshelves for um, like review, but not really new reading. But there was an article. Like of course you know I'm sure all of us had in our social feeds have some hopefully some good articles float by. And there's one that um, I found interesting uh, recently that was, that's, has the title, how to make a somewhat successful indie game. And uh, it's, it has a fun, fun voice. It's well-written and uh, it's, it's one of those, uh, you know, situations where creators is happy to share their, their numbers behind, you know, some of their work. Mm. And, and I think that's, that's informative. Um, and especially for me where like this really popped up and caught my attention because it's someone who is, um, well, really practicing the marketing and merchandising aspects of selling their creative work. And uh, that's, I found um, like, like interesting choices that, that uh, this, this creator, um, what Mario Kaiser um, has, has done where things like, Hey, you put a um, you put a work into a marketplace like an app store, and in this case, um, he's describing Steam, um, the Valve software's you know giant um, video game marketplace. And uh, I've I like for me that's a curiosity. I have not put a game on Steam yet. I've um, <laughs> I don't know. I've watching Steam grow up from from the idea to to where it's at. It's been it's been wild because. I always, always thought, well, you know, it's not approachable. It's only for, you know, triple A's. And then they found ways to green light, whatever. So like it's, and then now if you're an indie game creator, you can essentially for a hundred bucks, go ahead and list something on steam, but you know, that's not nothing. It's worth being thoughtful about that kind of investment. And I noticed that uh, Mario Kaiser uh, mentions having multiple, um, like a re just a really thoughtful approach for, for why he puts or, or he, she, they, I don't know what, uh, Mario's pronouns are, but um, the um, putting stuff into the uh, the app store, not just well, what's like, uh, you know, releasing the game Core Defense. Core Defense has like three different listings in Steam. And it's like, oh, why would you do that? So it's almost like publishing the the work in progress as a different work because of the behaviors of the marketplace. So anyway, it's not that long of an article. I don't mean to you know share every tidbit in it, but that's really interesting. You think about applying that kind of thing for uh, any of your products, right? Where 
maybe there's one that is the um, the early draft cons. Oh yeah, Steam. I think um, there's two po- two different um, uh, product two different products of functionally for steam is for, for core defense. And they have different names slightly. And, uh, but then itch.io being yet a different version of, of core defense where there was, that was like the early, you know, gathering, um, you know, gathering feedback and getting influence from the audience to shape the design kind of work. And, and instead of, um, and anytime a creator has this, like some kind of thoughtful framing about, you know, what's going to happen there with, um, how are they putting their game into the world? I guess I want to at least learn from their thought process, whether or not it directly applies to me. So the, 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 the gist of that being, well, itch.io being the more curious exploration, the first steam product being the, all right, um, let's, uh, you know, grow support and, um, you know, figure out what's going to work on this platform. But then the last one is the one where it's like, now we're really ready to go. This is very polished. And because there's such a boost in like new products, uh, as far as how you can get awareness on that platform, then, um, you know, it seems like it's, it's been worth to actually release it as a separate thing, hmm. which, um, you know, it's, it's not, that t- doesn't strike me as intuitive. So i I'm, I'm glad to, um, to learn from, from like this approach and I'll have to think about that. Um, what I'm and, hearing in there too, you know, is as, they're practicing this, this behavior of, um, selling your sawdust too, by making a product out of the recording and an analysis that they're doing for their business. Right. And then that's going to be of interest to other indie de- developers like you, which is going to raise its Google ranking, which raises more awareness of the game itself. Right. So like, it's not yeah. just like, oh, well, I'm only marketing it to indie game developers now. No, it's also making it a more relevant page because more people are, are reading it, which means there's more opportunities for more people to, to learn about the game. So that's interesting too, as like, like more of like a meta commentary on what the, the behavior is there behind like making a, a, a blog post like this. This is, uh, for those who are listening, the website is fragments, but take out all the vowels, fragments.blog. And then you can mm. bite-sized fiction and thoughts, but we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, was there anything else on this? So that what? Were, yeah. No, no. I um, there's there, it's it's worth reading the article, um, and and uh, I think uh, that's yeah. Sometimes this is this is my main reading, just the occasional article here or there, and uh, that I found yeah. So maybe I'll maybe I'll bring this to the reading, watching, playing from time to time. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, same. I'm in a similar situation where it's just I don't, I don't have as much time to read as I would like, and especially um, I, I want to read more comics. Um, I, I feel a professional obligation to read more comics, both from like market research or like trying to find my way in the industry, but also, you know, as somebody who works for comics festivals, I feel like I should be more aware of the landscape than I traditionally have been. Um, but it's just right now not finding a ton of time. So, so most of my reading is happening via audiobooks. Um, and I just need to give a shout out to the Columbus Metropolitan Library System in Columbus, Ohio. It's pretty darn amazing. And uh, their support for borrowing ebooks is terrific, uh, whether you use Libby or Overdrive or Hoopla. Um, and so I've been listening to a couple different books about folktales. Uh, I guess the one I can share is um, 
the complete and original Norwegian folk tales of Absjornson and Mo. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this, Rob. Uh, it was new to me. Um, but what I like about it is it just it just dives right in, and it's it, there's no extra context or commentary. It is simply just the folk tales uh, translated into English. Um, and the way I came to this, um, I should make a. This is more of a, I guess, a listening recommendation. Is let me pull it up the website. Um, there's a podcast I've been listening to called This Jungian Life that a friend of mine turned me on to. And it's, <laughs> there's the headline, three Jungian analysts talk about life dreams and how we grow. Uh, they have an interesting business model too, Rob, that you might be intrigued by. Uh, so they, it's three psychologists talking about psychology, but then they have a Patreon. And if you uh, subscribe to their Patreon at a certain tier, they'll analyze one of your dreams for you on the show. So, <laughs> okay. So Interesting. Like they have That's, a section. They have yeah. a section of the show where they analyze a dream. Um, but but anyway. So, but what I love about this podcast is it's it's psychologists talking about psychology in a way that like just absolutely works on me. In that they'll talk about like you know different principles or different um, uh, complexes, and they always tie it back to a folk tale or a fairy tale or some other piece of fantasy literature because that's like Jung talked about a lot about this about like the collective unconscious and storytelling and how fairy tales and folklore are sort of like archetypal representations of common experiences between different human beings. So they, they very readily go to that, and they kept talking about this character named the Ash Boy or Ash Lad, and. Ashlad is this character in Russian and Norwegian folktales who is like the youngest brother who the, the, the king has like nine sons or whatever, right? And like the, he has like some quest for them. And uh, all nine of you go out and find nine princesses and come back and, you know, be married. Um, and then the youngest one, the Ashlad, uh, is always like, they're like, oh, he'll never do it. He'll, he can't pull this off. He's too dumb. He's too simple, whatever. And then they all go off on their requests, and the old elder brothers are always consumed by their ego in that they don't listen to the warnings of the world. Like there's like an old crone in the woods that says, don't go that way, or there's an owl who talks and says, like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. You might need this on your quest, you know? And the, the older brother's like, oh, what are you talking about? I know what I'm doing. And then they fail. But Ashlad is the fool who listens to the world, right? He listens to the signals, and he listens to the weirdos and, like, the Yodas in the, in the bog kind of characters, you know? Um, and so he always succeeds, right? And so they, they talk about this character. Enough, I'm like, all right, I got to find out more about this character. And sure enough, I'm already like only like a third of the way through the book. And he's appeared in like three different stories and won four princesses, <laughs> something like that. But anyway, it's, it's just such, a, it's a, it's such an interesting concept. But there's more in this, this book of these. Uh, they're folktales, so they don't necessarily, I wouldn't call them... Uh, one-to-one -one allegories for every um, situation that you find yourself in in life, because like there's also strange ones like, you know, uh, Saint Peter goes to this woman's house and like orders some some of this special fry bread, and she keeps making it too big, and so then he curses her, and she turns into a bird. And that's the story. <laughs> So it's also like kind of like odd, whimsical sort of like you can't fight Mother Nature, so don't even try kind of stories in there. But uh, I'm enjoying it a lot in that you can get the audiobook uh, probably from your local library, the complete and original Norwegian folk tales. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that sounds really um, 
So are, so do you take from that different, uh, like it sounds like you're intrigued by a particular character archetype and is this something you're exploring for into use in current work? Well, I'm, yeah, work? I, I'm, I am intrigued by how story can have allegorical significance to the human experience, right? Not necessarily that I want to write a series of morality tales, but if I, I, I'm on the hunt for things that feel universal and not specific. Um, and hearing how different cultures, different kinds of stories have addressed these ideas helps, helps me navigate that in, in hopefully a thoughtful way. Also, it's just, it's just darn interesting how the part of our brains that, that, that we use when we dream, like how it conjures these really like unexpected images of things and, and makes unexpected connections um, in the form of story, right? So that like when, and, and like I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by like one of my like, I guess grail quest if you want to call it that. Um, like a, like a, a big goal, a big dream for me is to make something that just works on people the way myth and folklore just works on people. You know it when you see it, right? You're not doing that analysis that we're talking about with the third eye, right? We're not talking about like any kind of analytic eye going on. It's just like, you just feel something happen to you when you experience that story. And I think that's, those are the kind of stories that are tapping into something that's more universal and more, I would say, truly human, um, so yeah, that's part of part of my. It, this is me uh, in, in and also like I I tend to think in image. So like uh, immediately I'm picturing you know uh, uh, Gandalf in the libraries of Gondor just like pouring over text. I gotta know. I gotta know. Like what are the experiences that all these people had so I can make a map for myself to try to do this thing. So anyway, uh, that's why I'm intrigued by those kinds of stories. But also they're just they're just fun and and whimsical and weird. You know. <laughs> yeah i mean it's yeah it's not every day when uh someone turns into a bird right um that's oh. that's or you boil a troll's it, daughter and feed her to the troll so that you can steal all of his ducks and his his golden harp <laughs> and oh and there's, damn there's a boat that like uh, I, this is the image that really grabbed me it was like there's like a, a magical boat that only goes if you say okay boat go Right, and like, and I, I made me think of the door to um, what was that? That dwarves' cavern where all the the orcs took over in the Lord of the Rings. Um, oh yeah, say friend and enter. Say friend and enter. Right, it's like that. It's like it's like mm -hmm. it's the spell is absolutely literal. Right, and like, and I love that idea <laughs> of hiding the complexity in the obvious. Right, like oh, it's a magic boat. I, I I'm paddling. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, you have to say okay, boat go. And then it goes, right? <laughs> it's like, cause like sometimes the simplest answer is the best answer, you know? So hmm. like ideas like that, I, I think are really catchy and, and interesting. So. Yeah. There's, there's a, let's pay attention to the current situation in a way that gets past your, um, your assumptions and shakes you out of like whatever fog you might be in. And that's, that yeah, that is appealing. <laughs> and what's funny is like I do I, I I like the I don't know what to call it. If if what what's the relationship between that concept and also the pants you put it in, right? Where it's like the uh, the heart of um, you know mythological symbols and their arrangement and their effect on us and and like like how how 
how much, how can we play with that power as well, but then also make it wearing the right pants. So it's, it somehow shows up and we go, Oh, you showed up as opposed to like, nah, that I tuned that out. That's, that's classical music or, you know, the, it's not for me. There's something about the, Oh, it's, it may be, it may be for me. Like you throw that story and it's got a, um, like, you know, a dragon, a volcano, and a and a and a and a warrior on fire on an album cover, and I'm like, hmm, you know, <laughs> I, I'm looking in this direction now. Right. Anyway, that kind of thing too. It's it's um. Well, yeah, and, yeah, so, and, and that's 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 the more specific. That's the, the that's the more specific that points towards the more universal, right? And like that, and that's mm. this is something I talk about with my students all the time. Is like this is why we shouldn't be so afraid of like borrowing other stories ideas because the specificity that we bring through our own lens is going to make it unique it's not the universal ideas are the ones that like you know uh provide the fuel and the energy for the thing but then you're gonna like you're gonna narrow it down through your lens to add that specificity to make it appeal to you know uh a narrower audience who like like for for instance right like uh Transformers the movie has a lot of similarities in terms of a chosen one and a big evil thing who wants to destroy the chosen one. Harry Potter's got that too, right? Very different things, very different audiences. So, <laughs> <sighs> no, now I just remember why I was looking for Unicron in, uh, <laughs> you know, the third <laughs> Harry Potter movie. So, Anyway, but yeah, um, so I don't expect that necessarily Norwegian folk tales are going to be for everybody now, right? And so, like, I'm another one I'm reading. I'm, I'm going to do a, a double dip, Rob. Oh my gosh, I'm breaking every rule. Um, it's another called one. pulling a Rob. <laughs> <laughs> it's the new dance that's sweeping the nation. It's called pulling a Rob. <laughs> uh, this other one I'm reading called the Book of Yokai, and this one is much more academic. I mean, it's it's. It's a slog, uh, and as a matter of fact, I'm thinking about skip. <laughs> I'm thinking about skipping to the second half because, like, the first half of the book, and this it's, it, this is how academic the writing is. He spends a chapter telling you what he's going to do in the structure of the book. You know, it's like, okay. The first part is me giving you the, conte- the the cultural contextualization of yokai, these spirits that inhabit a lot of Japanese uh, folklore, mythology, and religion, and now their pop culture. You know, you have yokai watch Pokemon, are essentially. Not not dissimilar from yokai. You have Shigeru Mizuki's comics, uh, which are full of yokai. Anyway, so he spends like all of this c- cultural contextualization, which is super cool. It's awesome that he's doing that. But I'm like, I just want to hear the stories of the yokai. <laughs> I just want to hear the stories. And he's like, oh yeah, we well, have to wait for the second half of the book. I'm like, I might skip. I might go over there because, and then I'll come back and listen to the cultural contextualization. But anyway, so yeah, if like more of uh, Eastern mythology is your speed. Um, so far, so good, but it's 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 not it's not for the faint of heart in terms of like man, it's got some academic language in it, and it's like the dude takes his time to get through a sentence. So um, <laughs> I, I could I could chime back in later after I've gotten through the second half of the book to see you know if if it's really go read it now kind of material, but it it, it seems authoritative. Let me put it that way. So. <sighs> Yeah, that's uh, that can be uh, that can be a challenge. You know, finding the finding the right references that get you up up to enough speed where you're empowered and skill gaining a skill and a handle on that subject matter. That's Mm. um, uh, but without 
maybe the heavy lifting burden of, of maybe more context than you have the appetite for. That's, yeah, that's always tough. And also like if you're in the stage of that kind of um, exploration and development to, to grow in a particular thing, I don't, I don't even know. It's like hard to filter. I think it's awesome that you have that sense of like, uh, it's not quite getting you the nourishment that, that you were seeking um, you know, willing to have some patience for it, but it's, it's really, it's, it's good to have a, like a, I, I like that you had the, how you're just like a filter, like boundaries to say like, okay, this, this might not be for me right now, or let's see. Right. Um, yeah. and I love that there was the book, um, classic I read called, um, it should have been called the Pareto principle, but it was called the 80, 80, 20, um, 80, 20 principle. And literally in the beginning, it said, um, whenever I read a book, um, I always read the 20% in the beginning and the end and see if it gave me the gist of what I was hoping to learn from it. And then if it, if, if I don't feel any curiosity, I set it down. And so I did that for that book and I, I was done. <laughs> <laughs> the Pareto principle states that for many outcomes, roughly 80% yeah. of consequences come from 20% of the causes. Oh, the eighty twenty rule. Okay. Well, that's funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in in the case of this this particular book, the Book of Yokai, the author had the kindness of telling me the structure ahead of time. So it's like, well, if you're just here for the stories, just go to that part of the book, and then. But I'm, I'm putting this part here because I think it's important. Fair enough, right? A little trickier with an audio book, but you know, like I said, I'm I'm I haven't given it up yet. I'm just you know jumping back and forth between the two right now and i'm finding that i'm enjoying them both for very different reasons so what about watching or playing uh let's see i think i i did talk about this recently no we talked about this off mic or uh you know off off recording what what have you um but i would i rewatched uh robotech season one uh, again, and it's, it had been a long time. Like Robotech is one of those, uh, those, um, you know, cartoon franchises that, uh, I mean, it had a, uh, it, the timing was pretty spot on for me with, with, uh, you know, here's something that, that, that has this imagination and fantasy, but then all kinds of other interesting story and messages woven in. And, and, um, and it was an, an aesthetic, like nothing, that I really saw that was going on at the time because it was sort of here, here comes the eighties style um, sci-fi opera anime stuff. Right. And um, I found that arresting. It was just visually amazing. It's totally into it. I would have just watched it for the robots, but then it had some, you know, it had some fun characters and, and, uh, um, and a story that I remember liking that I had pieces of it as, as a young um as probably like a tween, but then, um, you know, I didn't catch it all because there's like 36 episodes for season one. And, and so I ended up buying the tapes once I, you know, was, uh, I bought them on VHS, um, when I, when I had, had the spare income and I could, you know, chip away and I collected all, and I saw it all as like a, in my early twenties. And I remember it was, I was like, this is great. This is a lot of fun. It's, it's a solid, um, solid story. And I've dabbled with it since it would be that comfort food background. Like, Oh, I'm familiar with this. I'm going to draw while Robotech's on, I'm going to do whatever while Robotech's on, you know? So it's like, 
that kind of um, that kind of media for me. And um, it had been a good 10 years since I went back to it. And uh, I have the DVDs now, right? I know it's available elsewhere too, but, but there was some kind of streaming. I remember like it was on YouTube, like the whole thing legally through, you know, Harmony Gold or something. And, uh, but there was something about that version that had different sound effects and some remix stuff that I have heard that show so many times that it just stood out. It stood out like how like modern artists are, are like there there are people re-recording their their back catalog in order to um, you know break the shackles of their you know tough contracts with the recording industry, right? Um, so like the like uh, I don't know brief tangent. So Megadeth um, is a is a one of those uh, classic '80s heavy metal bands that um, I grew a taste for especially their album um uh oh gosh i can't believe i'm forgetting it it's the one with hangar 18 and and uh, all that it's uh, uh so the, the I, only one i know is peace sells but who's buying yeah <laughs> that's a fun one too but it's uh um oh rust in peace of oh course. anyway so they re-recorded rust in peace not that long ago somewhere in the last five ten years uh, and uh, where it was originally recorded in like, I don't know, 88, 89-ish, somewhere in there, uh, maybe 87. Um, but this is a thing that I really imprinted on pretty deeply. And so like when the hearing the remake of it, um, it's actually pretty, ma it's masterfully done. It's amazing. No, nothing to worry about. But I do notice little little changes, right, in uh, in performance, in mixing, and stuff because it's um yeah that audio landscape is a big thing for me so like listening to ro or and watching robotech again which i had been doing with um like during workouts basically it's like okay i'm going to be on the treadmill or on a bike or i'm you know um you know on a mat uh, whatever it is i'll pop in a bluetooth you know earpiece and i can do whatever I'm, i need to do and then this is going to be on my tablet nearish by and, um, you know, some, depending on what I'm doing, and, and sometimes I'll give it my full attention too, but it's the, ah, that audio landscape. It was like some kind of nourishing, familiar home feeling. Yeah. And, uh, and like, anyway, the, um, the theme started standing out to me where, where it's like, uh, in Robotech, essentially, um, you know, humanity is doing mixed bag humanity things, war and all that stuff, a ship from, some alien culture crash lands causes some destruction and, and it's a wake up call people on earth unify like they never have before. And they, you know, discover the secrets of this technology and, and, and rebuild and, and start to adopt this as their own right when they're about to celebrate. Yay. Look at what, you know, look at, look at this. That's now our capability. You know, that's when the aliens come back and they, they they want their tech back and, and there, there begins a, a battle um that spans 36 episodes and has a, a and the interactions between the human characters a lot of interesting things and also the alien characters um like i remember it just being like different sides um you know good the good team and the bad team, you know, battling it out and then eventually there's a little bit of common ground and there's even badder 
team that shows up. And, and, and I, I found that was interesting, but like, um, that was like my broad brush brush recollection with, of course, some obvious things, essentially the aliens super don't like it when humans kiss, or maybe they do like it. Um, <laughs> and, and as I started to see these reactions at once again, like I remember in my early twenties where it hit me, I'm like, ah, this show is for, you know, this is where it's showing that it's, it's somehow not refined writing. It doesn't, you know, it's not, it's, it's missing the mark because I'm not identifying it with it right now or whatever. I, I was judgy about it. I still liked it, but it, it didn't have um, something about it. Didn't hold up in my, in my estimation at the time, but now I see them doing this with the different characters playing out like how essentially the, the alien race that shows up initially are, are, there are these giant creatures, 50 foot tall, but you know, physically amazing warriors and all this stuff, but they're very immature and they are just now becoming aware of um, relationships and the, in, in maybe interspecies things that happen with relate or uh, within their intra species uh, things that happen with relationships and uh, like, like coming together and maybe, um, being, you know, living together, um, and maybe having a longer relationship and having, you know, offspring or maybe being dedicated and the, the idea of marriage, oh my gosh, is so emphatically pounded into your brain. Um, as, uh, as both like, um, as the big, oh, to be, to be worried about. And also, um, you know, as like this um, amazing, most difficult puzzle to solve. Right. <sighs> so it's a funny thing, but it's all about maturing. And that's where, as soon as I saw that, like from, from this rewatch, I thought season one was written like incredibly well because they're taking like um, uh, some animation that was created for a different um, um, property and repurposing it, adding their own story and all this stuff and new performances and new cuts and in um, uh, remixing a, a bit into this this new thing called you know at the time Robotech. Anyway, um, so it's it's like uh, really I think it's a, a, a an example of a well crafted story for its audience that has enough hooks. It's almost like the the aboutness of it is fairly timeless. I didn't really think about mythological connections or, or what have you, but they put it, they put some interesting ideas a little bit, you know, repetitively, repetitively, but appropriate for the audience. And then put it in amazing robot pants and yeah. space battles. Well, that, that's what I'm talking about. Like what your observation of the Zentradi, the alien species and how they are essentially tweens, right? They're coming into physical yeah. ability that they've never had before. And they feel funny when they hear mute, like romantic music or see people engage in romantic activity on the sure. television. Like the, one of the first things they see the Micronians, the humans doing is it's a beauty pageant and they see the bikini contest or the swimsuit competition. Right. And they're like, that, that clothing isn't practical at all. Why would you wear such little, little sure. armor? You know? how, how could you go into battle with that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Which is honestly great questions to ask. I mean, so it, it's, it was this combination of, it was a little bit, it, it's so of its time, right? Yeah. So you're, you're going to see some, some things that are a bit, a bit sexist and yep. um and at the same time 
it was written to try to be progressive too. So you're going to see counter perspectives to that, but you're going to, it's all, you know, there's, it's a lot of mixed messages well, in yeah, there yeah, as far the, as. It's important to know, know that the animation was done in the early, early eighties. Um, and, yeah. and I'm, I am continuously uh, stunned by how much, how different the times are when I look back and like when I'm engaging with my Transformers podcast and watching things where I'm like, Ooh, ah, I can't believe that was okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, um, and, and actually the mask cartoon, way bigger offender. Oh my gosh. There are so many racial stereotypes in that cartoon that like when I watched it as an adult, I'm like, yikes, oh I love this toy. Why did you have to do that? Anyway. Uh, but no, but like this idea of doing like, the villains of the story, like when you really think uh, think about it abstractly, they are representing the point of view of tweens, which is what we were when we were watching the show. We were like early teens, preteens, and so th when the Zentradi were doing their bit, I, it was something where I, as a twelve year old, wasn't going like, ah, I see what this is really all about. It just worked on mm -mm. me. It just registered. It was like, yes, this this resonates with my experience. And again, I wouldn't have had those words. That's like that's the kind of thing I'm trying to do in my work, which is why. I read those the kind of books that I read. So anyway, I, I'm glad that you, you you brought it back around with that. So um, <laughs> do you want to quickly hit a couple playings and then we'll take a break? Oh, sure. Okay. I can. Yeah, I can. For, yeah, I know mine can be quick. What about what are you what are you playing? You're playing stuff. That's <laughs> I'm, awesome. I'm playing stuff. Uh, yeah, I well, I mean, I took literally a half hour to do some playing. And uh, in my studio, uh, I have a. CRT television that I bought in 1998 still works. The remote still works. And I have connected to it an Atari 2600. And um, I was in just doing some office organization. And I was like, you know what? This counts as office organization because I have like a station that I'm going to have all my gaming systems in. So I hooked up the Atari. And I'm like, well, if I hooked up the Atari, then I, you know, I should really test if it works. And so I opened up all my games and uh, basically rolled out the classics that you would imagine for an Atari 2600. I broke out, uh, you know, Pac-Man, good old battle, <laughs> that gem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is it? Yeah. Is it a gem? Uh, I will submit that Atari Pac-Man is better if you were 10 when you played it. <laughs> I I, mm. I would never put that in front of somebody who's never played it and say, you need to play this game. I think it's it's a game that, that brings back warm feelings of playing it on a black and white television in my bedroom in the middle of the night and turning the volume down so nobody could hear kind of thing. Um, mm. But uh, it's I wouldn't call it a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, I feel like that's like most Atari games for me is like I put them on just to get like a, a whiff of nostalgia and the experience of being, you know, under the age of 11 again. So I broke out combat, played that for about actually I played combat the longest because there's the most games in it. Um, and then that's one of the best cartridges for Atari is combat. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and like the, they're, they're actually like pretty well designed considering what they are. Um, and then Adventure, which I played for about, I want to say, a minute and maybe 15 seconds. That's about as far as you can get on that before it's like, okay, uh, that's enough. Uh, Donkey Kong, same thing. I got to level two, and I was like, okay, I feel satisfied. Um, mm. Anyway, uh, so that was me. I went back to very old systems. What did you do for your, your playing? 
Uh, I went back to a game that was on my shelf, but it's not an old game. And not that old, I guess. Uh, it's um, Spider-Man for PS4. Mm. And yeah, I know Spider-Man, Miles, Miles Morales is out now um, for, I think, PS4 and PS5. And uh, everyone was posting all these great things about the Miles Morales Spider-Man. And I remembered the my first hour or so of playing Spider-Man PS4. And I just, um, I, I stopped playing it because... I, I was I was stuck in a situation that wasn't like that first hour. The first hour, it's like you eh, a few first few hours. I mean, you're 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 getting the feel. There's a lot that Spider-Man can do. So much contextual input changes and stuff. But if you get the you get into the flow and practice, you're you're running up buildings, zipping and you know lines uh, swinging from your web all throughout the city in different heights of buildings and, and all, and you, and you upgrade your, your abilities and all of a sudden you can do acrobatics and all this stuff. It's just traversing that environment is pretty, pretty great. Um, you just checking in, you're not hearing my computer make a noise. No, are you? I do not. Good. Um, Okay, good. Sorry about that disruption. It was like filling my head with a ringing thing. Oh. Um, so, okay, so it's just traversing the environment is great. Um, the the you know uh, arresting people or, or you know fighting people doing different kinds of crimes very satisfying. Ex, you know, except it depends on the kind of things you start to run into. There's there's certain kinds of um, uh, you know baddies characters that you, that you fight that that are super tough in my opinion com- considering you're spider-man in this situation right and and then all of a sudden you can end up in situations where the stakes are really high and what that's what happens i was stuck at a save point where i was in a um uh i was in a, it was in a situation where you, you had to silently um remove all of the different opponents and you need to not hit the wrong buttons when you're doing that. So what happened is I'd load the game, hit some wrong buttons, say, ah, I'm done, play something else. That happened a few times. And then I'd stop going back to it. And at some point, someone, you know, someone I know was, was like, well, you know, you can change the difficulty on the fly. And so between that and I just loaded an earlier save point and it was, still hard enough right like everything was was it was that sweet spot of challenging to be interesting and skilling up the challenge while my skills were growing but not doing that big leap where it's where it was instantly severe a wall of difficulty and um and and so it it's it just remained this fun thing where where it has this open world sandbox feel it's not um pushing you to do one thing the next and so a sequence of levels it's sort of there's a there's a there's a sequence of missions and you can and the and a variety of things that are rewarded as far as exploring and and uh like finding your 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 hidden caches of spider-man stuff right so there's backpacks hidden throughout the city there's you know there's a there's a person whose um pigeons escaped their coop and they're uh, your your buddies with them so you you help them recover these pigeons and that's fun. so like on the map, there's all these interesting things to do. And, and so it's a really rewarding jump in, jump out kind of thing. And 
if the difficulty's not set too far, I can come back to it and be like, all right, I remember the button combos and just do a quick, you know, mess around and, and I'm up to speed again, ready mm-hmm. to go skilled enough to, to have a really good time as uh, a Spider-Man. And uh, it's, yeah, it's really well done. And you, yeah, and yeah, it's, I could, I could go on about it, but I know <laughs> we we're just doing a quick. Uh, funny, funny crossover mm-hmm. between that game. I actually have a direct connection to the making of that game. Uh, strangely enough, now that you mention it. Um, so oh, the, yeah? if I'm not mistaken, that particular Spider-Man game, the voice actor who performs Spider-Man's voice is a fellow named Yuri Lowenthal, uh, a voice actor who wrote, co-wrote a book with his spouse, another voice actor called voice over voice actor. And I did all the illustrations in the book. Um, so, <laughs> so I, small world, that's sm- awesome. Small world. I'm, 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 yeah, I, I am, uh, the, the voice actor of Spider-Man is a former client of mine. I, I co- And as a matter of fact, his wife, Tara Platt, is the person who does the voiceover on the Thunder Punch Daily microcast. That was, that was part of the arrangement for the, 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 the book. As I said, like, okay, well, it'll cost you this much, and I'll give you a discount if one of you does a, a, a read for my, my podcast. So, <laughs> ah, Yeah, I am jealous for, of your intro. That is fantastic. Uh, um, what a, yeah, how awesome is that? Um, so yeah, they actually just released so, an updated edition of the book. Uh, I, I'll link to it in the show notes. But yeah, I did some. Oh new com- yeah, I did some new comic strips for it. So, and it, the book is all about um, uh, like what setting up, getting skilled up for voice acting. That yeah. kind of thing. If you if you okay. want to do voice work, it's a how to. Mm. Uh, both with like exercises, philosophy, but then also technical things like, you know, mic distance and, you know, how to set up your own personal mini studio in your closet kind of thing. So voiceover voice actor, what it's like behind the mic by Tara Platt and Yuri Lowenthal. So. Ah, uh, I have to find, I have to pick up that book. I've been meaning to for ages. Um, yeah, I was like, actually, that was like, I first illustrated that. I want to say like all, almost 10 years ago. It was like 2012 is when I worked on that book. All right. Uh, I think this was this was good. This was good practice of, of, of thinking hard about the stuff that we consume and enjoy. Uh, you want to take a break and then maybe talk about like expanding on a topic that we began exploring in Extra Lean? This idea. I think that sounds really good. You must be talking about uh, choosing tools and caring about your experience of using those tools. Indeed I am. Okay, so we're going to talk about that in the second half of the show. But first, we've got to thank a few people who make this show possible. And who am I talking about? I'm talking about the folks who support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash LeanItToArt is the website. What is it? It's a way for you to give us a monthly upvote. If you believe in the work we're doing here at LeanItToArt, you can support us on an ongoing basis for as little as a dollar a month. You can also do a one-time contribution because you can cancel any time. So you come in, you know, do like a yearly donation and, you know, just avail yourself of the behind-the-scenes content for the month and then check out. Or you can support us on a regular basis like these five people, these wonderful five people. Sarah Lutfi, thank you, Sarah, for believing in us and what we do. You can find Sarah on Instagram at twisty.tree.studios. And David Armitrout, we were just talking about you. Thank you, David, for believing in us and what we do and for interacting in the Leonard Discord, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And J.S. Taskus, thank you, J.S. You can find J.S. Taskus on Twitter at J.S. Taskus. And Sophie Lawson, thank you, Sophie. You can... Find out more about Sophie and the work that she does at Sophie Lawson Art on Twitter. And Gail Bushman, thank you, Gail. You can find Gail on Instagram at Nightingale Art. And you can join them all at patreon.com slash leave it to art, where you will find all the shows we make, 
as well as the extra leans. The shows we record only for people who support us on Patreon. Those posts become an open mic thread. We can talk about whatever you want in a safe space with fellow leaners. It also gets you access to the lean to our Discord. Uh, actually, it's open to the public, but we have three special channels that are only for people who support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash lean to art. Thanks to everybody who supports us there. It means a lot. Thank you so much. All right. Since we were talking about Robotech, we'll use this as our, our bridge music <laughs> for this one. No dancing when you hear this music. This is, this is the, the angsty tweens on their way. Mm. <laughs> <sighs> yep. Uh, burden with more and more homework and more and more confusing feelings. <laughs> All right. So we uh, began a conversation. We just posted recently Extra Lean episode 152. Um, and you titled it Include Yourself, because I think that was one of the last things you said in the episode. Um, and so what do you mean by including yourself or include yourself to well, uh, you can, you can take a lot of signals for how you like, I, I guess the tools you pick up and use, um, could be for, you know, how well suited they are for a particular thing could be the you know, reputation, um, people you respect, uh, whatnot, but, but what it feels like to use that thing. And especially after you've, you've skilled up enough where, you know, you have feelings about the stuff you're using. And if, if you have different, different paths, you could get there, different tools or options. Um, and, and the ability, the, the space to, to, to make some choices and, and examine that, think about and try to do some matchmaking where your preferences are part of that matchmaking. And like, like what, uh, what works for you as far as um, just simply how do you feel when you pick it up? Mm-hmm. Does it feel like it was made for you? Um, and then like what kinds of results are coming out of it? Uh, you know, cause I know that, I mean, some tools I use, it, it's a bit of a slog. And some of that is because I've not skilled up enough. When I go to saw, like I do a soldering project. Uh, it's like, I'm spending so much time like setting up and making sure and, and, and feeling like I'm probably not going to burn myself. I don't need to worry about that, whatever, you know? Yeah. And, and just, there's so much distraction because I'm not as skilled up in that thing. Yeah. But I can get through it. Yep. Um, so that's where I'm the, the thing, but sometimes I I'm, I'm skilled up enough in, in a particular matter. And, and I just uh, still don't feel excited about a particular tool and whatnot. So yeah, anyway, or just, um, you know, sometimes get it like you, I think you have an example where you've, you almost have, a lot of things that a lot of different paths to, to get similar work done. Yeah. That's another reason I thought we'd be worth digging into this together is that this came across my path uh, as recently as this past week. Um, so we have this discussion at extra lean and then like just not a few days later, I'm, I was live streaming while I was inking and somebody in the chat was asking, um, Oh, you're inking on paper. Uh, is that what you prefer? And, you know, is that what you're doing now instead of digital? I'm like, well, no, I'm, I do all of the whole spectrum of different tools that are available to me, but I try to, I was, I was explaining that I was, I'm inking this right now on paper because I'm doing an entirely 100% digital project and I want to keep my experience, um, interesting and novel. 
And also there's something about the feeling of the brush touching the page. Like there's a feeling of the movement that I move my body differently when I ink on paper than when I ink digitally. Um, there's a different experience in terms of the room I'm in. Like right now I'm recording in my basement studio where I, I have a window, but this place is not bathed in natural light. I have other lights on me right now. My studio where I do inking on paper, I have a window that looks outside into the backyard and it's just, it feels very, it's a different experience working like that, right? Um, and so, and like, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to use brushes or I'm going to use crow quills. I'm going to use pencil or am I going to digitally pencil and then print out the digital pencils and ink that. All of these choices uh, are valid choices, but like, I let my, um, I let my personal preference of the time be part of the the uh, decision matrix, right? Because um, it's possible that for this project I'm making on paper, it might make more sense to like for the project to draw to ink it digitally and make it more um, malleable, able to be edited if there's any changes. But I'm willing to to make that trade off for the fact that okay, so if I'm gonna be doing eight hours of drawing a week on these two projects between these two projects, let's make four of it entirely digital, four of it on paper, so that I can have those two experiences in my life. Because um, they, they both have different things to offer me, right? Because um, like the, the digital one I can do on the couch too, right? It's like, I, I actually remember in my early days of uh, making comics for money, um, this is back before I had a computer, so I would do all the art on the boards, and I would FedEx the pages to the publisher. Gosh, this sounds like such an old thing to do now, but, I mean, people still FedEx stuff, right? Um, and I remember I was moving to Arizona with my then-fiancé, now-wife, and we were staying with her parents for, I think, two weeks before we made the move to Arizona. So I didn't have my desk. I didn't have my, my drafting table. So I had a big clipboard that I was like clipping my 10 by 15 sheets of paper on. And I was sitting in wingback chairs and really awkwardly doing my best to draw on those boards, right? Um, hmm. Not super easy to do. Like it works best on a drafting table. Whereas like drawing digitally... Man, I just got this little, you know, Vio Z canvas thing right here, you know, and I could just sit on the couch while we're watching Svengoolie and draw comics, no problem. So, again, different trade offs, different affordances for the different tools, right? So, what about, uh, you mentioned like in the moment sometimes, just picking based on preference and, and context. And, and, uh, and so some of that could be, is that ever instinctual or is there kind of a, like a, like a fitness checklist? I guess it could all be, that still could be instinct. You could have baked in all kinds of filtering and process that happens before you reach out and, and grab either, you know, uh, analog or digital. Uh, um, I, yes. Um, and actually this is a good opportunity for me to like kind of take, take a quick tangent and apologize to you publicly about something like ages ago on the Linux art cast. Uh, <laughs> we had an argument, not argument, a disagreement about the scene in Star Wars Episode Four where Luke Skywalker. No, leave it as argument. Okay. Go back and tune into the old Lean Into Art Cast. Okay, like, check out our archive. There's, it, it was back when we just would be like we'd be like two pro wrestlers. We we're so so much younger and and like so angry, uh, yeah, hot under the color. Just uh, but rough. yeah, I I really had an issue with the scene where Luke puts the helmet on and covers his eyes, and Obi Wan's like, "Don't listen to don't listen to your your reason. Just trust your instincts." And I'm like, "Ah, I don't like that." 
when it came to this project where I'm inking on paper, it was definitely instinctual. It was like, you know what? I think I feel like I want to ink it on paper. Step one. Okay, listen to the feeling. Now ask yourself, why? What, what, why are you having this feeling? Well, you know, it's like I'm doing this other project that's 100% digital. I'm kind of tired of looking at screens all the time. You know, oh, that's a good reason. What else? Oh, well, you know what? I, my eyesight isn't what it used to be. And it's really hard for me to zoom in close on paper and really fuss over details. If I work on paper, it's going to make me stick to what's essential in the art, and I'll probably get the work done faster. And sure enough, I inked a page in 45 minutes when I did that live stream, you know, because I didn't have the luxury of getting in really, like when I was a younger man, I could like put the page right up to my nose almost and like really get in there and do some fine tuning detail and like waste a lot of time on, on art that wouldn't be seen when it was printed, you know? So mm. the instinct kicked in, the feeling happened. And then instantly I went into a dialogue with myself of like, what advantages, disadvantages, what are the trade-offs that I would be facing on this? Can I talk myself more into it or out of it? Right. Cause like if there was a strong enough argument to not, or if there was a uh, strong enough impulse to like, well, it's going to feel a lot greater to work on the screen, then I would have made that choice. But, but part of it was like going back to this idea of bringing yourself into the, the equation of like, what's my comfort? Like, how, how does this tool feel to me? I love Clip Studio Paint a lot. It has solved so many problems for me. But here's the big, you know, connecting word here. But, um, I'm spending a lot of time looking at screens, Rob, and I need a break from it. I need to not be looking at screens. Um, I think that, that that's probably something we can all resonate with right now. And so I would say that in this case, the experience that I wanted was the experience of drawing and not having to look at a screen while I'm drawing. Right, so I can live stream. I can broadcast it if I want. I'm not looking at a screen really. I mean, I'm like looking for comments every once in a while, but my primary interface is the page on the the table. How does that How does that resonate with you? Uh it, it's it, it it does. I mean, it's it's one of those things where um, I make a practice of of being pretty intentional about you know, the stuff I'm working on and how, how I'm going about it. But at the same time in, in the, the, the flow of the, the, the day to day and getting, getting a task done and making progress on like, Oh, um, I'm going to work on this, this illustration for this project. And, and then whatever, what I do next could end up going into towards sort of a, an evaluation. So do some observations. Um, there's, Oh gosh, there, you, there's um there's a model for decision process called UDA, um, observe, orient, uh, decide, and act. And I can go into that kind of you know bit of a bit of a loop and actually know I'm doing it, or, um, in 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 kind of a broad brush way, say I just keep moving toward getting it done right, and um, that's where um. So yeah, so you have a you have a picture of the uh, observe, orient, decide, and act uh, on the screen, and and it's not you know perfectly linear. There's there are feedback loops throughout it all, and uh, this is uh, I don't know where did they came across my radar, but yeah, I remember yeah John Boyd was the uh, author of that, um, which I saw the it, it was in the foot footer of that image, mm -hmm. but I'm like oh yeah that is um, what I remember too, but um. 
And I think it was um, originally something about trying to improve the process of, well, um, people in fighter pilot tense situations, um, making, making better choices in the, in the moment. Mm. So to try to essentially internalize that thing. But what's funny is once you internalize that thing, you're now it's, it's darn close to, if not fully within the realm of instinct. Yep. Yep. Because so there's this ongoing accretion and evolution of your own, um, practices getting embedded to just how you like what you choose to do next. So sometimes I do that where I'm, I just, um, I'm like, Oh, I need to solve a problem on this, uh, on this illustration. And I'll just start, you know, I'll grab whatever's at hand because whatever's at hand is fine. And it will help move me forward. And then what I need for the next stage of that uh, illustration, what, what, is more obvious at hand will kind of will change of course, because I won't uh, go from draft concept to, you know, finished art on a post-it note, but, um, but I might start, you know, just as well on a post-it note or an index card or um, in an app that isn't clip studio paint just because it's something different. Yep. Anyway, but the, but that sense of, uh, I don't know, like the, the instant, it's so funny. It was so um, to rewind back to the, I, I, I almost fully ignored your, your apology because it was, uh, I didn't, it was, I, I've rewinding back to the time, if I'm remembering uh, well enough, I was like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> he's got feelings about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know? I did. I thought, and, I, I thought I had something figured out with that. And I was, I was really looking at it from a, I would say now a somewhat naive perspective, a not as informed perspective, because like the language used in my classroom now is that when I describe instinct, I'm like, when you get on a bike, you don't think about where do my feet go? What's the first step? What's my checklist? You just go, right? Because it feels like a natural extension of your, and that is an instinct that has been developed through lots and lots and lots of practice, right? And I was trying, I tried to demonstrate this as like, this is, this is how art works too. Like different pieces of the process become utterly instinctual to you as you accrete more skill and capacity and um, mastery. There is a, uh, I'm going to see if I can, can I make this work? Um, I'm going to try to, uh, there's a couple of this, this is a little, it's related, but tangential, but um, all right. So I put that in my browser. So then if I go and I do that, I can kind of, all right, I'll, I'll reshape it here to make it work on the screen. So there's a, um, there's a, a talk I saw ages ago by Grant Skinner. And um, he's someone who has made a successful business of being a, um, a creative coder consultant, and, you know, and, and really uh, kind of existing on a couple of paths that, um, you know, being both a very creative person and a very much a, um, you know, computer science kind of person too. And, and uh, it's, I was watching, a, I think was, this was at a flash, uh, you know, the member Adobe flash or Macromedia flash, what have you back in the day. And it was a conference, uh, I think flash belt. Anyway, he was talking about how the, the, you know, different people, you know, like his, his career path and people that he's interviewed to come to into his, what he, he grew like a, 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 me, a multimedia consultancy kind of thing. 
and how there's a there's an evolution of how you relate to your own skill over time. And I, I think it weaves into this conversation, but I won't make probably the exact connect the dots. Um, I'll let you let that be an exercise for, for you folks. But the idea of when there's a rule that seems so important, think about people who really stand up for the Oxford comma, or there's the, um, like I recently saw a post about the, um, the capital I in um, different points places in, in a comic word balloon. Right. Um, and, and I know that's got a name and Jersey probably knows the name of that, but then also people as, as coders, this is what this diagram is, is talking about specifically where you, you start out not knowing the rules, you're flexible. You just get stuff done, however you get it done, but then you start noticing how you got it done. And then you really level up regarding that and you get, um, you get pretty attached to those rules and those grammars and the specific rituals and stuff to get the results that you expect and you get more consistent about it, but then you start to mellow out and, and, uh, and, and start to find a flexible relationship, but with, with these, these different tools and their outcomes and the contexts where, you know, where you put them, put, put it to use. So anyway, and it's a little bit of going like from being a, if think about analogs of this, this is a, coding framed diagram, but it's a diagram of, of like adherence to experience and the, and, and the, the regions being, you know, it's, it's on, on, on X and Y axes. Um, you get more adherence, the more experience and skill you get, but then you start to back off after, over time and you care way more about just getting to that result <laughs> that you've committed to. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Like this is what I'm thinking. So, like when you show me this, I think about how artists like, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, Alex Toth. Like if you look at Alex Toth's later mm. work, it's, it almost like I was reading some of his Zorro comics not long ago. And it's like, he makes a line that doesn't look like anything. But when you put it in the context of all the other lines, like, man, that's a nose. How did he get a nose out of that line? You know, it's like, mm. it almost looks like he's like, when, he's finding out what's the least amount of effort I need to put into this to get what it needs to be. And it's fun to discuss that kind of art with less experienced artists or even non-artists, because often the interpretation will be is like, oh, it's like, it's getting all sloppy and loose. It's getting all like, it, it doesn't look finished. I'm like, oh no, mm. but it, it's so much more finished because he's using less to get the same, you know, it's like, yeah, that, I love that, like that dip of adherence in that, in that diagram is this idea of like, okay, what do I need to just get the job done now? What do I need to make this thing as simple and beautiful as possible without having to like, what was the, 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 the second criteria? Like the first criteria was completeness when you're first starting out. And then there was correctness and then there was results. And mm -hmm. is there something else? Yeah, that that's it. That's it, right? Ah. So where you 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 get really attached to. Uh, do you want me to show the diagram again one more time? Oh, sure, if you want. Yeah. If you um, can. All right. Well, so um, just have to adjust my window a little bit. Um, yeah. So starting out, where <laughs> just completing the task is yeah. Yeah. is really a big deal. Like, yep. okay, I finished that comic. Okay, <laughs> that was really something. And how I got there. Uh, who boy, that's a, that's a path. <laughs> that's and, exactly right. 
but then of course, you know, you get some, you get some more experience. You decide you can unpack and what was this like and what was working, what's not working. You keep doing that. What was working and what's not working, what could be better. Um, yeah. You're going to get a, gr a greater sense of what you feel is the right thing. And that process alone will get you pretty darn attached to a kind of set of ideas, both principles and maybe even how one should go about that and yeah. really believe in the should about that as well. Um, and then I don't think this happens the same way for everybody. I'm not saying that this is a perfect diagram like this. When he, when I was in the audience and I saw this, I'm like, I want that slide so bad. So <laughs> it's something I'm going to refer to, you know, and I have for ages. I mean, uh, I, when, when was flash belt that, that I attended 2004, this, and just, yeah, the notes yeah, that really I really left an impression. Yeah, I, I, I looked up the notes based on that link that you got at the bottom of that, of that image, and it took me to a page from 2004, so. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> well, that's, that's okay. awesome. Uh, okay, so, yeah, that's a little, that, that, that's a tangentially related, but I think it, it helps build this, um, it contributes to this idea of uh, maybe figuring out where you are in your relationship with your knowledge and, like, because like something I, I just had this conversation I'm, I'm going to be doing an art residency at a uh, middle school starting in January and the conversation came up well, what tools should we have available to the students and I'm like well eighth graders in my experience tend to broadly speaking have a little bit of um, they're very interested in what professionals use like what's the professional pen you know what's the professional pencil and they're not as ready to engage with the conversation of well, there's no professional pen, right? There's just a pen that a lot of people use, maybe, but even then, it's like, that's not the right pen. It's, you gotta like have your relationship with the right tool. But given where they are and where their interest is, let's meet them where they are. And generally speaking, these are the kinds of pens that a lot of artists use. Give them some experience with that. If, and then if they decide that, they, that this is a battle, they don't wanna play with this pen, it's too much work to use this pen, uh, then, then I can have the moment where I go, beauty, throw it over your shoulder. You're done with that pen. You never have to see it again if you don't want to. Let's find another pen. Let's find another tool. To Let's use a pencil. Let's use something else to get there. And that could be the, the teachable moment, right? So, like, uh, I think, like, knowing, like, having, like, some kind of sense of where you are on that R could be part of this decision-making matrix as well. But, um, yeah. Or even if it's not, um, I think even you're like, it's like your relationship with your inner voices can, can change because I think your inner voices, um, are like when you're earlier on, you could be like, just complete the task and just sort of screaming about, Oh, oh no, the, de the, the deadline and how do we get there and, yeah. and just grab whatever's at hand. But then, uh, your inner voices can, your inner critic can get pretty harsh the more you've you've built up awareness of like, this is the procedure, this is the skill, and this is the the proper tool in the proper way, you know, um, that's, that's, uh, it's okay, because you're representing a point of view when you're doing that, right? I'm not saying, I'm not trying to vilify the folks who are, who are you know, uh, I'm not it, it, trying to snarkily subtweet the, those kinds of dialogues. Right. Um, um, I don't have a severe, but when I see those things, I, 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 they, they give me pause no matter which side of the conversation I'm on. I'm like, ah, Hmm. You know, how do I feel about that? And is that really something, you know, I need to worry about, but like the, the inner dialogue stuff, uh, I think changes where, um, uh, like, like hopefully your, your inner critic has a, a more constructive job to do in, eventually. 
and 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 that hopefully that inner critic is also taking into account that you as the employee of the organization who's making this art should have a good time making the art um at least with mm. the tools that you're using um can we talk about a couple of the tools you've been using and what your relationships are with them yeah, absolutely. I mean, this could be a, a really quick visit to the to a topic because, in a way, we visited this topic a variety of times. Where it's it's my experience in um, in becoming a um, a proficient enough uh, user in the uh, in the Unity environment. Uh, it's it has everything to do with this, like relating to the user experience, relating to uh, the experience of of uh, of the related to the task, but then having a relationship with specific quirks, my own background, my own baggage and stuff. Unity is awesome. I'm not here to say Unity isn't the right thing for anybody. Um, you don't have to use like a lot of what Unity can do. The um, the Unreal environment can do as well. Different different ways, similar paths, similar complexities in the tools overall. Um, because, uh, you know, whatever the culture is behind Unity, it's different It's different than my background. My background is, is like web coding. Um, sure, doing a bit of uh, compiled coding in, in C and whatnot early days, but then really seeing like, you know what, when I don't have to compile stuff, I don't have to wait to see what happened. I get to create, see how it turns out and keep going. Unity, it's a compile environment. It's an environment for people who really like to, um, um, let's see, it's got expert dialogues and, and, and expert panels and stuff. It's like an extreme version of Photoshop for interactive things. And as far as the, what kind of interactive things it can solve anything just about, like, I think you could, you could use it to, to help design virtual sets for movies you could use it to film movies virtually. You could use it to make uh, VR games, um, you know, 3D games, any kind of camera angle, multiplayer, single player. I mean, it's it's a powerful platform, tons of capabilities. You can also use it to make two-dimensional games. Those are my focus right now. So Unity in a way is kind of, one could say it's overpowered for some of my interests and, and certainly some of my habits and stuff. So... And especially because of C sharp, I, you know, it's, it's my preference. It's not, uh, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not stoked when I'm coding C sharp, but I do like to code in Python. I even like to code in JavaScript and that's me. And it's because I associate that with experiences of, of sort of, you know, rapid iterative development and being playful and that experience of, uh, instant feedback and, and, um, having a, uh, a dialogue with, with my interactive creation, that is it more immediate. And I get there's trade-offs, the more complex thing you want to build and all that stuff, you just need to accept the, the trade-offs and, and that there are worthwhile reasons why unity needs to compile. It's able to do, uh, to create a far better optimized output that runs great on a lot of different platforms and it supports so many platforms. Anyway, unity is amazing. Have I mentioned that? Okay, but C sharp. So <laughs> that brings me to I'm still I've had I had I shared a bit of this before where um um you know I I built Guitar Fretter in the Corona SDK and um turns out this year it's now open source and it's called Solar 2D. Mm. 
which is very interesting. So something that's open source and different licenses has different encumbrances and choices for you as a business and who can influence the stuff that you make and how. Unity ha is a big platform supported by a big organization, which is awesome, Unity rocks, but it has different trade-offs. So the, the, the unencumberedness of the, the open source, kind of interesting. It's also, you know, specialized in 2D and I've been using it for a long time. And it's so sort of breathed new life into the possibility of using that platform. So um, my, my main efforts right now, I'm, I'm working on the next, not the same next guitar fretter. I don't know what to call it. Like guitar fretter deluxe is what I was calling the Unity version. That one's still happening, but it's a longer term project. I don't, it's a, that one is, is, is you know, not what my main thing I'm working on. I'm working on right now updates and splitting off the existing guitar fretter code base in Solar 2D because I can get that to market way faster. Mm. Um, so because I'm just, it's just me. My studio is me. So <clears throat> that's how so it is for right now. That, that's, I, I look, that's I hope, you know, well, evolve, but. Am I hearing you correctly that part of the decision making that you're doing here is that um, you could get it to market faster, not just because the tool is more um, more or less suited to that task, but also because of your fluency or comfort with the tool will help you get it done faster? Is that part of it? Well, and, pre and prior investment. Okay. So if I built the first guitar fighter in Unity, that's what I'd be using now for mm -hmm. sure but um, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. So um, for a variety of reasons. And um, it's, uh, I don't think, let's see, when did, I, I probably, it was, I think it was right around that time when Unity was like, how, how long has Unity, Unity been a thing in the world? Um, uh, Unity 3D first, publicly available. wonder what year that would have been. Uh, Wikipedia might know. Founded in 2004, but then early success in 2000. New platforms and expansion 2009. So yeah, I mean, it's, it certainly could have been what I developed in, but, um, so your question was, is, is, is it a combination of, of what the platform can do and my preferences or? Well, yeah, um, I, 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 was, I was specifically using the word fluency and in and, and that, fluency. right? Like your fluency with the platform is being part For of For sure. Like, if you grew up 100% with Unity and, and then, then the, the, the frictions and, and, and frankly, my baggage comes from prior career stuff where I used C Sharp as my day job thing when I was in the financial industry and it wasn't my first choice then either. <laughs> and so when I finally had the freedom to do, to do other stuff with my side project, I was, it was a little bit like what you described Jersey and like having the, you know, your different workstations and different, what, well, like I would code during the day design, you know, I wore a lot of different hats in, in that job and it was cool and rewarding in a variety of ways. Uh, and, um, but I didn't want to go home and then code in that too for my games I was working on. I, I just didn't want that. So I, I just wanted to 
underline that because I think that's an interesting aspect to this tool choice based on your comfort and your experience, your experience using the tools as well is you've also done projects where you're trying to learn a new tool while trying to also ship a thing, right? Like the, yeah. the, there was the 24 hour comic that you tried to do by learning cl clips you to a paint then called manga studio. And like, that's a situation where the fluency wasn't there. And you were also taking on the ambiguity of a project that you weren't even you didn't have the information to know whether or not this was a achievable goal given the constraints that you were up against. Right. So there's that to consider as well. Like, so like I, I think about the story I've told a hundred times about like when I, when I taught myself how to use a brush pen, um, I was very comfortable with Crow Quill and this in the art and story days, I remember arguing that like, Hey, look, I'm happy with the, the Crow Quill. This does what I want it to do. I don't need to learn brush. And Mark Rudolph was very like playfully sort of pushing me like, come on, you gotta use the brush. It's the right tool. It's the right tool. It was playful. Um, so I was like, fine, I'll give it a try, but like, I'm going to do it in a way that's very safe where I can fail constantly on this. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So, Which is a great approach, by the way, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's where I have been. Um, like, Unity is going to become a big deal to me at some point. That's the brush for me, right? Yeah. I know it. It's strategically the right direction. Yeah. And it may continue to exist with other parallel things as well to, that solve different problems better, right? So it's like the, that new brush didn't have to replace every other tool for everything forever, right? Right, right, right. No, it, and it didn't, right? So like that's it's just that it, now I have another option and I another option I feel relatively comfortable with. So, yeah. And you develop that comfort in like with a safe project. Like, so I know that I don't want, that's where it's like for these next releases, it's same thing with, with Unity for me. I, I explored the idea of saying like, this is the next prior, I reprioritized where I was like, this is where the next guitar for it is going to come from. And then with, you know, some business planning, some, some creative sessions and stuff. And then I realized that's not the right fit. That's really being uh, too cavalier with the risk. It's I need to lower that risk um, and, and, uh, and work on that over a longer time frame. Mm because I can get these other versions done a lot sooner. Yep. Yep. With other tools. Yeah. I, I think that, so when we were talking about your experience using the tools, there's also the extra context of where are you applying those tools? Right. So is this something, Certainly. is this something where there's other stresses and pressures that are informing, like there's other friction points that you're going to have to attend to as well. Do you have the capacity to add one more friction point? Well, let's let's play with something that's a little bit less comfortable for you if you want to learn that other tool or explore that other tool. Or like in the case of Unity, strategically, you see it as an important tool that you will eventually have to embrace, right? Um, yeah, and if I had to, like I, I could put out little interactive demos with it today. I mean, I've practiced Unity for a number of years, but it's not the thing where all the features and all the refinements and all the behaviors and experience across different, where it's like on all the different platforms, am I going to be able to put out the thing that I want to, you know, put out? And I, not, not happily. I want to do that. Um, there'd be too much, too much risk and pressure right now. So, yeah. uh, and also, without the prior investment. I'm not working off of an existing code base to say, oh, small changes and refinements lead to big outcomes. And, and I'm at that position with the, um, the Solar 2D um, right, game right. engine. 
Got it. And, and, and this is another uh, trade-off of you know digital to analog inking too. I'm, I'm grateful the fact that brushes don't change all that much. <laughs> I don't have to worry about new additions and new features and new layouts coming down the the way for me. Like here's a whole new way to approach this thing. Isn't it fun? Uh, well, not what I'm trying to also learn at the same time. Uh, <laughs> so like that's but, the best honest i love analog tools for that where it's just you're just who you are forever yeah. well yeah th actually i i also want to backstep i, I want to backstep and say like yeah also i know that like when it comes to like the crow quills i remember like when the different manufacturers would have different degrees of quality of the of the kind of crow quills that they would make so like oh i got a bad batch of crow quills now or you know the way the brush is made, uh, or ink for that matter, uh, you know, different brands of ink had different, different quality at different times. So. Oh no. Yeah. There's nowhere. There's nowhere safe. There's nowhere from... safe. <laughs> but it, from but the, it... the the quirks of platforms in there. Oh, um, entropy and change are difficult to deal with. <laughs> darn it. <laughs> All right. Well, do you feel like we took a a walk around that 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 idea? It feels like this is something we can return to again and again. Um, uh, yeah, I think so. That like this is, uh, yeah. Um, I don't think we promised to say that we've now figured out the ultimate tool for the ultimate project. I think we sort of. <laughs> it was a good modeling uh, exploration. So I, I think th that that was worthwhile. Cool. All right. So how about we take one more break and then we'll come back and remind everybody of the two minute practice that we're doing for next week's episode. Um, so in about like minute and a half, two minutes, we're going to talk about two minute practice and then close out the show. But before we do that, we have to thank some other people who make the show possible. And those people are us. We make the show possible. We work hard on this other stuff that we do, all these things we make. And we bring all that thinking back to this project called Lean Into Art. The thing that I make that I hope you will check out is this project called the Four Million Years Later podcast, and it is a story analysis podcast where me and an old friend sit down once a week, watch an episode of the Generation One Transformers cartoon, and then pull it apart and look at it, like how we engaged with it as children and now as adults. Um, latest episode is episode forty-seven, The Gambler, which is it's kind of an unofficial part two to episode 46 child's play where it's like sort of a cosmic adventure where optimus and a small group of autobots find themselves first on a planet of giant children who where they're like the, the the size of what the toys were to us as children um and then they escape there and now they're on this odd gambling planet which has a lot of echoes of other uh lawless places that appeared in science fiction at the time uh and you know like like that means that there's like at least 47 episodes for you to hear two people think really hard about what makes a story uh, connect and where it falls off the rails. Uh, you can find it at 4millionyearslater.com. Rob, are you ready to talk about what you got? I am. So I still have a sale going on. I just will quickly mention that this is a time where you can get for yourself or as a gift for others or both my workshops that are available at my Skillshare store, um, or it, it's a good reminder where if you happen to have, um, uh, you know, a membership to, uh, no, not Skillshare. So if you have a membership to Skillshare, 
hey, this is a reminder to go check these things out and, you know, enjoy them by all means, because actually enjoying my workshops on Skillshare is a way to support me because Skillshare pays me when you use my workshops on Skillshare. Um, but then at my Gumroad store, I still have for a limited time up until the holidays here, an 80% discount unheard of 80% discount. So like go to robstenziger.com store.html or just click on the store link. Here you go. Drawing user journey maps or creating or customizing your next creative challenge or goal setting using design plus storytelling or um, sketching the happiest kitty in the universe. All of these are available at Gumroad where if you, you know, or Skillshare convenient links in both cases. But if you go to the Gumroad store, um, it's saying, well, wait a minute, this is 19 bucks. So what if I um, just went to, oh, let's see, what's the, oh, let's see what I'm, I'm like looking at this from uh, the point of view of me here. So if I go to boop gumroad.com slash Rob Stenzinger, boop. And then this right on my, the, the homepage of the Gumroad store, I'm reminding you of the discount code Rob said 80. That's how you get that 80% off. So now in that case, um, if we, you know, do a little copy that and, you know, hit, uh, let's see. So we're looking at the $19 uh, customize your next creative challenge. If we go to checkout at checkout, this is where you can put in that discount code and you'll see the, um, it, that price drop. So anyway, and it's not showing the price drop. Oh, you, you will be charged $3.80. $3.80 for that $19 workshop. So anyway, worth um, worth noting. Huge discount. Rob said 80. Use it at my Gumroad store. All right. And I sent I out the link to the store via chat and all the platforms that we're, that we're broadcasting on right now. So Sweet. It'll, it'll be in the show notes as well. Uh, so the last thing that we hope you will check out is the Lean Into Art Discord. We have a forum now, and it's a place where you can gather and talk about the topics we talk about in the show, share your work, connect with other people who find this, this exploration, this kind of reflection meaningful. The invite link will be in the show notes for this episode and every episode. Uh, join us on the Lean Into Art Discord. There's public channels, and there's also channels available only to people who support us on Patreon. Thanks to everybody who's been interacting with us there. Um, there have been some, there's been some fun prompts going on from some of the leaners and like getting people motivated to like talk about the stuff that they're working on. And, and I was really glad when David Armitrout put in that uh, extra little bit where he said like, um, and how are you being kind to yourself when you're working on these things? That was, that was, that was a nice, <laughs> nice way to frame it and remind ourselves like, okay, this isn't just about being industrious and making the widgets and cranking out the material, make content for crying out loud, you know? Let's make stuff that means something to us and let's do it in a way that that is, well, I mean, you know, like that feels like we can renew. It, it, it feels like we're not draining ourselves into the project, but like sort of uh, making it a reciprocal kind of experience. So, yeah, that's uh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. It's it's a really good um, it's a good place to just um, uh share, connect, chat. It's a low pressure social network kind of thing. And, uh, and of course I mean, we, well, I still haven't published an actual, um, like policy about, um, behavior stuff, but I mean, we go by leaners aren't wieners and you know, wieners get booted. So that's what happens. 
Oh, and and correction, uh, David's props came from the actual extra lean post that we talked about in the the Patreon ad. But then you copied them over to the Discord to make sure that everybody saw them. So that was that was. Thank you for doing that, Rob. Okay, yeah, no let's talk real quick. Remind everybody about this other thing called the two minute practice, where we do a segment at the every two weeks t- towards the end of the episode where we discuss a practice that we've been taking on, um, practicing a new skill of some sort, um, and then bringing the reflections to this, this segment, which becomes a microcast at leanatort.com slash two-minute practice, number two-minute practice. And then we decide on what we're going to do for the next two weeks. And what were we uh, doing this two weeks, Rob? So it's... Uh... It's one of those things where I did not expect us to end up, it, it's like every week I thought we would just make up our own thing to practice. But now you and I have gotten in the habit of, well, we sort of figure, we, we almost extra lean style uh, imp- improvise or choose. Sometimes folks in the audience suggest something to practice. And what we ended up landing on was uh, this, it was inspired by, by like how, like your poetic language of, you know, talking about the, um, Mm, like seeing the world and what, what is resonating so much. So um, we called it uh, brainstorm excitement and encouragement. So, th- and that can look so many different ways in any kind of tool that you want, but you just two minutes at a time, let that stuff come out um, right behind me in the video. You can see what's uh, where I've started. Mm. Um, I've got my, got my uh, uh, good old dry erase board up and I'll step over here. Whoop. There we go. And um, yeah, I just got to have a little bit of a start. It's only, it's only been a week. We have two weeks to, to do some more practicing and, and stuff like that. And I'll, I'll share details as far as what, what I captured back there. But, um, but I like that we have this reminder and uh, the lower pressure of the two-week cycle. Mm, so yeah. this is good to, good to remind us and good to remind you that we're practicing a thing. Yeah. And we'll we'll check in next week on that and see how like what our experiences were. So uh, thank you, Rob, for this discussion this week. Uh, this was this oh, was a a, a, a nice joyful exploration of what we're enjoying and then what experiences we're enjoying in making stuff. Um, we record the show. Yeah, what were you gonna say, Rob? Sorry. Oh yeah, and no, I just I back at you, man. I just virtual high fives. I. No, I appreciate that a lot. Um, yeah, uh, reading, watching, playing, and, and uh, it's, it's a good pattern. Last time we did one of these, we did that secondary topic too, and I think it's a lot of fun. So yeah. um, we talked about chaos as the the second topic in our last reading, watching, playing. I think that's so. a good pattern to get into. Is like a sort of a mini topic with some reading, watching, playing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like that a lot. So, okay, we do the show weekly, Thursdays at noon Eastern time, 11 a.m. Central. We stream it live on platforms, almost all platforms. You could, you could, if you are platform agnostic and you're like, I don't want to watch on Facebook, I don't want to watch on YouTube, well, you can watch at leanintoart.com slash live, and there's an embedded player there, so you can watch that way, too. Um, and then we collect it as a podcast at patreon.com slash leanintoart and leanintoart.com. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, I have been Jersey Drozd of leanintoart.com and Jersey Drozd on Instagram. And I've been Rob Stenzinger, also of leanintoart.com. And you can find me places like Instagram as Rob Stenzinger. Okay, bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at leanintoart.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at 
the user Lean Into Art, and you can reach us via email at leanintoart at gmail.com. And remember, leaners aren't wieners. Thanks for listening.